0: Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We're your co-hosts.
1: Today we feel very privileged to welcome to the studio Sister Amy Wright, the new second counselor in the new primary general presidency. Sister Wright, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What a glorious experience we're really excited you feel that way (laughs) (laughs) i feel so lucky to have you yes as a quick introduction and we'll be getting to know sister Wright throughout the episode but we wanted to share a little bit about her for our listeners she was just recently sustained in april of 2021 as the second counselor in the primary general presidency with sister camille johnson as president and sister susan porter as first counselor And some of you may recognize, we actually interviewed Sister Porter just a few months ago on the episode in her role capacity as a Relief Society Advisory Council member. So we'll link to that as well so you can go and get to know her. Not many may know that Sister Wright also had previously been serving on the Young Women Advisory Council. Um, And she'd been doing that for two and a half years at the time of her call to the primary. And we're just really excited for listeners to get to know her. She has such a powerful spirit, and she is full of light and so much love for our Savior Jesus Christ. She jokes she is surrounded by boys. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was so funny. She's a twin raised in a family of all boys. She married into a family of all boys, and she's a mother of three boys, (laughs) so she knows boys well. She has a bachelor's degree in human development and family studies, and she's married to James Wright. She's also a stage four ovarian cancer survivor, and we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. So we're just so grateful for this opportunity, and again, thank you so much for being here.
0: It's such a treat for us. My pleasure. Sister Wright, we feel like it must have been a little bittersweet to be released from your calling on the Young Women Advisory Council after serving for more than two years with President Corden and her counselors. Would you just share with us some of your most cherished memories or experiences or assignments that you had from your service in the Young Women Organization? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for being so sensitive about that. There's
2: been some happy tears and some sad tears these last I few bet. weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, My heart is forever changed though, having had that sacred privilege. It truly was a revelatory experience and to serve with sisters in that capacity where you feel like you're constantly climbing mountains together, but when the Savior's part of the journey, You are bonded for life, and you see miracles every single day. And many people ask, what do you do as a board member, which, as you indicated, Mm -hmm. is now a general advisory council member, which makes a little bit more sense because the word council gives some indication of what we do. We serve on many committees. We actually are responsible for chairing some committees, and in that capacity, we will create curriculum. We've written leadership modules, lessons for class and quorum presidencies. We serve with a variety of mental health working groups, interfaith groups. We have opportunities to teach, and with the COVID, it's been miraculous because through Zoom, we have taught all over the world, stake mm-hmm. leaders and ward leaders, and not just those that directly serve in young women, but also stake presidencies and bishoprics and one assignment that i received that i absolutely loved is i was able to serve as a member of the utah area leadership council and this was a pilot initially and they invited one sister from each women's organization to serve on this council and elder craig c christensen is the utah area president and what an incredible mentor and leader he was he was constantly giving us opportunities to stretch and to grow we had opportunities where we were invited to help him instruct area 70 we spoke at leadership councils we were invited to teach and testify at institute devotionals And the joy and the miracle of that experience as well is Sister Porter happened to be the council member that was serving on behalf of the Relief Society. And so for the past two years, I have just grown to love and cherish her dearly. And so that was a tender mercy from the Lord for me when I found out that she would be serving in the Primary General Presidency as well. So it's been wonderful. One thing I learned really quickly serving in that capacity is that this truly is Christ's work and His glory, not mine. But the miracle of it all is that He invites us to be part of His great work so that we can learn and grow. And I just love that about the Savior, that He gives us those tailor-made opportunities
0: for growth. And speaking of those opportunities for growth that are specific to you, I'm wondering how you feel your experience serving on the Advisory Council prepared you for now this calling in the presidency?
2: Absolutely, thank you. That's a wonderful question. Serving on the Young Women General Advisory Council specifically, I was able to develop a great love and testimony for the new Children and Youth Program. And I understand it really, really well. And that was a deep dive. Yes, Mm -hmm. a deep dive into this. And that was actually one of my favorite things to teach and testify about when it came to adult leaders. I love to teach about the ability and capacity of our youth. And especially when they serve in quorum and class presidencies, that they are called of God to lead not only their classes and quorums, but their presidencies, that Mm -hmm. they sit on councils and they come prepared to contribute, that they conduct meetings, they teach, they testify, they plan, they prepare, they execute events, and they seek and act upon personal revelation. Can you imagine what this generation is going to look like in a few years as adults serving missions and in families and in other aspects of the church? And so that's been a joyful thing. And so taking that experience and looking also at the Primary as far as the Children and Youth Program is concerned, Primary is such a wonderful preparatory place. It is a place where they practice faith, they learn faith, that it is a principle of action and power. This is where they learn discipleship and they learn how to hear the voice of the Lord. And it's such a marvelous thing to see that these young children too are invited to be vital participants in the work of salvation and exaltation and so as they make and keep sacred covenants and as they seek to discern the will of the Lord as they develop talents so that they can bless their lives and the lives of their families and the lives of the whole world you can imagine what a wonderful preparatory experience that is for them to go then into young men and young women and become
0: leaders yeah that's neat I've noticed with the children in my life too that primary has been such a great place where they can start to choose to believe in jesus christ Mm -hmm. as well just the type of questions that they're asking they just seem so meaningful (laughs) i've just been really surprised and so i think that'll be such a natural shift going from the youth to primary and so great that you already have that experience with the Mm -hmm. children and youth program that is
2: so true. And I love that about our little people. They come to this world full of faith. They have believing hearts. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they don't have any fear. When we talk about love, share, and invite when it comes to missionary work, they love everyone and they want to share what makes them happy. They want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with their friends and they invite them to everything. And That's as so adults, true. isn't mm-hmm. that true? Haven't you seen that? And as adults, we would be wise to follow in their footsteps for surely they follow in the footsteps of the Savior.
1: No, it's so true. I'm thinking right now of my toddler who, as we walk around the neighborhood, is just fearless and wants to talk to everyone, (laughs) tell everyone about his green bike. It's almost nice for me. It's like it gives me an excuse to talk to people. and, And thank you so much. I feel like that was a wonderful summary of what advisory council members do and, again, what your objectives and your hopes are in the primary. So thank you so much for sharing that. Sister right, as we were preparing for this, you talked with us about some of the truly miraculous experiences that surrounded your recent call to the primary presidency and how you were able to feel Heavenly Father's love for you and love for your family at this really special, tender time. And we would love if you'd be willing to share those experiences, some of those things with our listeners.
2: I was called by Elder Quentin L. Cook, and my husband and I were invited to his office on Sunday morning, and it was Valentine's Day. What a fun date. It was. (laughs) You know, my husband's actually serving as a stake president right now, so it truly was a date, because I usually don't spend a lot of time with him on the Sabbath, and so it was just a cherished experience. And after the call was extended, we were invited to just keep that to ourselves, not to share it with our family. And that meant our sons, our immediate family, as well as extended family. And so that was kind of a tender thing that just he and I could talk about. But as it got closer, and as General Conference was quickly approaching, my heart started to think and ponder about our son who's serving in the Ivory Coast right now. And I knew that he did not have access to internet or satellite. In a very remote place. Very remote Mm -hmm. place at the time. And he had indicated in his most recent email that he wasn't sure if they were going to be able to listen to general conference, that they most likely would receive transcripts later that Mm -hmm. they could study. And so as a mother, I didn't pray for this specifically, but it was definitely part of my heart.
1: Yeah, something you hoped for. Yeah,
2: I hoped that our boys would be able to hear this news from a prophet, seer, and revelator at the same time. I didn't know that that was possible with him being on the other side of the world, but that was something that I secretly hoped that would happen. And I don't even know if I shared that desire of my heart with my husband. But as we sat there on Sunday and we were all on the couch together watching General Conference, it's always such a sacred experience for our family where we would prepare for weeks and months in advance and make sure that nothing else got in the way of us spending that time together and so it was something that we really looked forward to and cherished and so to have someone not there made it even a little more tender but usually with our other boys as they served missions we had the thought of knowing that they too had access and so we were yeah, hearing it was the same kind of message unifying experience exactly still. around the same time so a little side note last fall i opened my first facebook account i'm actually a pretty private person <laughs> However, when our dear prophet invited us to share what we were grateful for, that's when I decided to open an account. And so the miracle of that and the blessing of that is right after the call was announced in general conference, our two boys sitting right next to me, our older sons on the couch, looked at me and then they just started cheering. Kind of like when temples are announced (laughs) and the excitement, enthusiasm just bursts out. And then you're kind of like, oh. Was that appropriate? I'm not (laughs) sure if we were supposed to cheer. And that's kind of how they were, because right when they started cheering, I burst into tears. Oh, man. And then as the mother of all boys, I immediately get dogpiled. (laughs) It's okay, Mom. It's okay. We're sorry. Maybe that wasn't appropriate. We shouldn't have cheered, but we were just so surprised. And then every email I had ever sent during the course of their missionary service came back to me through them. Mom, it's okay to be a beginner. Mom, there are people there. You'll be surrounded by people and their sole purpose is to help you succeed. Mom, trust in the Lord. You're going to be fine. And that was sweet to hear my words come back through them. And then the beauty of setting up a Facebook account those several months before by accepting the invitation from our beloved prophet our son, who's serving in the Ivory Coast, his mission president's wife, immediately got on Facebook, found me, and sent me a direct message. And she asked, does Elder Wright know? And I immediately responded. My husband paused general conference for a moment. The benefits, right, of yeah. this virtual conference, <laughs> that you got to be at home with Absolutely. your family. So we were able to pause general conference, and I messaged her back, and I indicated that we weren't aware if he was able to watch General Conference, but we had not been in a position to tell him. And then we indicated also that we would be honored if she and President Ben Dixon would reach out to our son on our behalf and let him know, because this is something that yes, it affects the church as a whole, but most importantly, we're talking about families and it affects our family the most. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sister Ben Dixon, to her credit, she responded almost immediately with, he will be calling you so we kept General Conference on pause and just a few minutes later messenger started ringing through my phone and it was Luke and as I answered his face just lit up the screen and he had a towel in one hand he's constantly sweating the (laughs) wiping the sweat from his face and just a huge grin he's out on the front porch you can see it's dark at night and he still has his white shirt and tie on and before I could say anything he said mom you'll never guess what just happened He said, we have to be in every night by 6.30 for safety reasons. And so all of our studying is in the evening. And just around 8 o'clock, I had an impression to ask my companion if we could use some of the data from our phone to listen to general conference, maybe even just a part of a talk. Mm -hmm. He said, I just felt a yearning for home. And I wanted that connection to home. He said, in my heart of hearts, I would have loved to have heard the words of the prophet, but it really didn't matter. I just wanted to hear from someone, just a little bit of spiritual sustenance. And his companion indicated that he felt like there was enough data that he could do that. And so right when he dialed in It was the statistical report and his heart just sunk. (laughs) But almost immediately after the phone rang and it was a friend that they had been teaching. And so his companion took the call and then hung up shortly thereafter. So Luke thought, I'll try again. And he gets on, and they're announcing newly called general authorities. Wow. And again, wonderful, exciting news, but he was just looking for something a little more. And almost immediately, the zone leaders called. And so he hung up again, and his companion spoke with the zone leaders for a few minutes. And then he thought to himself, I'm going to try one more time. And so at this point, he did not know that the current at that time, Primary General Presidency had been released. Mm -hmm. And so we dialed in one last time, just in time for them to announce the new Primary General Presidency. And when he said that, tears just flowed freely, as I was so beautifully reminded that when it's important to us, it's also important to the Lord. And that was such a beautiful tender mercy from the Savior to me, reminding me that He truly is in the details of our lives. And that his sole desire and intent is for us to be happy and to find joy in our lives. And it was also a beautiful reminder that he's very aware of our family and that I will not be alone. We will not be alone during this journey.
1: Such a wonderful reassurance at that time. Just that small reminder that I think even that's so special that it wasn't even something that maybe you had vocally expressed in a prayer, but just this desire in your heart. Of course, as a mom, I want my boys to know about this and to
0: probably be comforted too as you're beginning this new journey. And I just love everything about that story. Oh, it's amazing that he was able to find out live with his brothers and with everybody else. That's such a beautiful blessing that you were anticipating. I love it. We're going to switch gears a little bit because Sister Wright, we'd love to talk about this and hear your experiences. In 2015, you were diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. And despite being told at the time of your diagnosis that you only had about four months to live, this year we'll celebrate five years of being cancer-free. The things you learned from your courageous battle with cancer are remarkable and incredibly inspiring and faith-promoting, and we would just be so grateful if you would share some of your experiences with our listeners.
2: I would love to, thank you. So what started off as a pretty typical non-invasive surgical procedure ended with the words, you have cancer. And as you can imagine, my husband and I were stunned. Initially, the diagnosis was they speculated without further testing that I had about four months to live. And I'll never forget that experience in the hospital. I think we must have been in shock because we weren't tearful. We asked a lot of questions, and the doctor did his best to answer those to the best of his ability Mm -hmm. until they gathered more information and further testing. But I'll never forget my husband, the question that he asked the doctor. Just as we were finishing up, he asked him, if he was married while he attended medical school. And Mr. Doctor indicated yes, that he was. And then my husband asked if he would please go home and thank his wife for supporting your family so that he could bless our family. Wow. And then I felt inspired to thank him because I realized that that must have been a very difficult thing for him to come and tell us. And he did it in such a compassionate and loving way. Mm -hmm. And so as we left the hospital, Again, we were probably still in shock. We weren't crying, but we left a doctor who was <laughs> He was in tears. He had a beautiful tender heart, and we we're so grateful for him. And as we were driving home, that's when a million thoughts start coming into your heart and into your mind and first and foremost our concern was about our boys our oldest Uh son was serving in the italy milan mission at the time and so when you're told around four months you start counting and he still had about eight months left of his mission and so the thought occurred to me that i most likely wouldn't see him again in this lifetime and as we were driving down this hill physically Spiritually and emotionally, I felt like I was sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And I closed my eyes because we were driving in silence. I don't know what kind of conversations you have. Yeah, what do you talk about? Exactly. I have So many questions that we couldn't answer those. And so I closed my eyes and I just silently asked my Heavenly Father, am I going to die? And very sweetly, the thought came to my mind, everything is going to be okay. And I didn't quite know what that meant. And so then I asked, am I going to live? And again, the exact same answer came, everything is going to be okay. And I was confused. I thought, how can I receive the same answer for two very different questions? Mm -hmm. And then almost immediately, every fiber of my being was filled with warmth and peace and comfort as I was reminded that we did not need to go home and teach our boys how to pray. They already knew how to receive guidance and direction and comfort through prayer. We did not need to go home and teach them about the scriptures. The scriptures were familiar to them and would be a great resource for comfort as well. We did not need to go home and teach them about the plan of salvation, the restoration, eternal families, the very doctrines of salvation. In that very moment, every single family home evening lesson, every single you would call it now come follow me lesson, every church history site visited, every ordinance and covenant made and participated in, every temple visit, every testimony shared, every prayer of faith offered mattered. We needed every single drop of oil for our lamps. It was too late to put oil in our lamps. Mm. We needed every single drop and we needed it right now. And that was such an incredible comfort to me mm-hmm. because every single one of those things share the same foundation, which is Jesus Christ. If I lived, I knew that the Savior would be there to help me heal and help sucker and comfort me through some very difficult times. Yeah. And if I died, I knew that the Savior would be there to help my family heal Mm -hmm. and succor them through difficult times and that one day my family would be restored. The value of spiritual preparation is so evident there.
1: It's just such a good reminder and is teaching me so much. So thank you for that reminder.
2: Absolutely. About a month after diagnosis, I began chemotherapy and my mom Bless her heart. She was the one who drove me to chemotherapy every week while my husband worked, and then he came home, and that's when I really needed him was mm-hmm. in the evening and at night, and he was such a tender caregiver. I'm so grateful for him. Mm-hmm. But my mom went with me for my first chemotherapy treatment, and as I sat in the waiting room, it's very different environment than most waiting rooms. Most waiting rooms, you don't sit by people. You don't make eye contact. Mm-hmm. But this is real. Life gets real real fast in the infusion room and you realize how precious life is and what really matters most and it's people. And as I sat there with my mom, my stomach was nervous. I was still recovering from a pretty major surgery. I didn't feel well. And this gentleman came and sat right next to me and just started making conversation. And I was so grateful because, again, I was in another situation with my mom where we were without words. And we Mm -hmm. knew if we started to speak, the tears would come Mm -hmm. and the fear would set in. And And it's
0: hard for a mom seeing her daughter going through something like this. I mean, I just think of how she was feeling, too.
2: Absolutely. As a mother, you feel things twice. Don't you? Mm-hmm. You feel them as someone who's part of this circumstance, but then you feel it also double for, for your them. children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, as this gentleman was talking, He just started making small talk, and I was so grateful for him ministering to me in that way because it got my mind off the inevitable. I was nervous about having my port tapped. I've never had that before. I didn't know how my body was going to respond to all of these chemicals. That made me really nervous. So I was grateful for his kindness and compassion, and every now and then he'd crack a few jokes. The challenge is he smelled very heavily of nicotine, and I'm not someone who really appreciates that smell to begin with. And I hadn't eaten a lot that morning, and it was making me a little nauseous. Mm -hmm. And at one point, he bent down to pick something up, and the collar of his shirt flapped open, and I noticed he had a chemotherapy access port. And I realized that he was a patient. Because not all chemotherapy patients lose their hair, depending on how aggressive the treatment is. And immediately, a flood of thoughts filled my mind of judgmental thoughts. I couldn't believe that this man was going to go back into the infusion room where all these doctors and nurses were going to do everything they could to save his life and he had just smoked a cigarette. And then we parted ways and went back and received our treatment and about six hours later my mom was driving me home and already the effects started to kick in. And that night was a very rough night. I spent most of it on the floor in the bathroom by the toilet. And about 4 a.m. Thoughts of this dear man and his kindness towards me came back to my mind, and I started to cry, and I begged my Heavenly Father for forgiveness, because the thought of that sweet man experiencing even a fraction of what I was experiencing that evening, and still not being able to say no to a cigarette. I've never been addicted to anything before. I don't know what addiction feels like. But what that man needed from me and deserved from me, quite frankly, was not my criticism, but my compassion. So I learned in that moment that we truly come to know the Savior when we withhold judgment from other people, even if it's just in our minds. Mm -hmm. Our minds need to be clear and our hearts from judgment. So I was so grateful for that gift that he gave me. And so with my treatment schedule, I would begin with a double treatment on Monday. And then I would go back in on Tuesdays and Thursdays for hydration and to help increase my white blood cell count. And so I'd spend three days in the infusion room, and I'd do this for three weeks and then have a short break and then start over with a double Mm -hmm. treatment. But my chemotherapy treatments were every Monday. And so after running the course of that first month and getting ready to go back in for another double treatment, I told my husband, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to quit this is just too hard anticipation of that all of it and I just poured my heart out to him and he validated everything because he was on the front row he saw Mm -hmm. the suffering he saw the fear he saw the toll it was taking on my body and we were just getting started Mm -hmm. I told him at one point I said I'm pretty sure this is a human rights violation I don't think anyone should have to go through something like this yeah and he patiently and lovingly listened and then he just matter-of-fact said well then we need to find someone to serve And normally in a situation like this, you think that doesn't seem very respectful or kind. And yet this was kind of a pattern that we'd experienced our whole lives as a family. Whenever our children were feeling down or they didn't get invited to a birthday party or didn't make Mm -hmm. a team, we always sought ways to cheer them up through service, whether it was baking cookies for someone, knitting hats for the women's and children's shelter because service feels good and we always receive so much more than we give don't we Mm -hmm. but this was different this was a family in crisis i could not even take care of myself and i was fighting for my life and yet that still was the answer we needed to find someone to serve so in the middle of the night when the bone and tissue pain was so great i couldn't sleep i would think of ways Some were small, some were big. Ways that our family could serve other people in the infusion room, people in our family, our extended family. Mm -hmm. And some of the things we did is we put together concerts for the infusion room. Mm -hmm. We put together chemo care comfort kits that had things in there such as Tic Tacs or ChapStick or hand sanitizer, something that they could suck on because sometimes the chemotherapy would leave like a metallic taste Mm -hmm. in your mouth. And then every time I had a double treatment, It wasn't that I was going in to receive treatment, I was going in to serve, to help Mm -hmm. lift somebody. Someone else.
0: That just kind of changes your perspective. It does. Gives you something else to focus on. Absolutely.
2: Mm -hmm. When I focused on myself, when my thoughts turned inward, the world became a very dark place. Oh, yes. But when they turned outward, not only was there light, but even in the midst of the greatest suffering, I was able to experience joy. And it was an incredible thing. You know, the infusion room is such a sacred place. I often told my husband, I said, if the Savior's anywhere outside the temple, he is in this room, whether you believe in him or not, Mm -hmm. he is there. Ministering not just to those who are suffering, but those valiant doctors and nurses who are witnessing that suffering every day and still come back and show up to work to help relieve the best way they could and you sit in a large room. There are two rooms, one was more of a quiet room and one was more of a social room. And there were probably 15 or 20 recliners that the patients would sit to. So you'd be right next to someone. And for hours, there would be conversations. And you'd have the opportunity to share your experience and testify of Jesus Christ. And there was no fear to talk about sacred things because we were all standing on the precipice of possibly losing our lives. And conversation got really real. Well, everything I can imagine just sort of falls away. Yeah. Like,
1: what really matters
2: in that situation? Not a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah, that is so true. You do learn really quick that there are very, very few things that matter. And that was the beauty of it, is no one ever talked about what they did for a living or what kind of car they drove or where they obtained their education or where they've traveled. But I saw so many pictures of family members. This is who I love. These are mine. And there was never an asterisk next to their name of, oh, I wish they'd made better choices. It was just, this is who I love. Mm -hmm. And that's really all that matters. Mm -hmm. And so that was a beautiful experience. As my treatments continued to get more aggressive because the cancer I have, stage four ovarian cancer is a very aggressive cancer. Mm -hmm. And so the treatment is very, very aggressive. And as those continued to ramp up and my body got weaker and weaker, it was a spring. And I remember our boys were on spring break And they had put together about 50 comfort care kits to take in. That's what they wanted to do for their spring break. So they came with me into the infusion room, and they'd walk around, and they'd talk to the patients, and they would hear their stories. Mm -hmm. And they would talk to some of the family members that were there as they passed these out. And they were just little tokens of love, not a big deal, you know, Tic Tacs and gum and hand sanitizer. After they'd been there a couple hours, they walked up to me, and they said, Mom, we've passed all of these out except two. But it was time for them to leave because my nieces were coming to play their guitars and sing to the patients. We didn't want to inundate the entire infusion room with the right family. (laughs) (laughs) I bet they loved it. And so they asked, what do we do with these extra two? And I said, well, as you're leaving, you'll walk by a lot of exam rooms, and people will be coming and going. And the spirit will let you know who to give them to. And so they laughed. and my nieces came and then they left and I was still there experiencing treatment. And as I was sitting there, I watched this young girl walk by in the hallway and I realized it was the daughter of one of my fellow cancer patients who I hadn't seen for over a month. She had breast cancer and she had been struggling a lot with her treatment. And I was very concerned because mm-hmm. she hadn't been coming back. And so I waved her daughter down and I invited her to come over and talk to me and I asked how is your mom doing? I haven't seen her for over a month. Is everything okay? And she said, Amy, you'll never believe what just happened. She said, last night, my mom called me and she told her that she didn't know if God knew she existed or even cared and that she was going in the following day to tell her oncologist that she was going to quit. She wasn't going to do treatment anymore. It was just too hard. Mm -hmm. And her daughter indicated, well, then you're not going alone. I'm going to come with you. And she says, as the nurse was walking us down the hall to go into the exam room to meet with the doctor, she said two boys walked up to us and handed us these little gifts of Tic Tacs. And my mom asked, what is this for? And one of them indicated, this is just to let you know that you are loved. Mm. And she said, my mom and I immediately looked at each other and just started sobbing. And she said it became such a tender, beautiful reminder that God does know she exists and that he cares. And she said, my mom is in the other room receiving her treatment. Wow. And I asked her, I said, what did these boys look like? Our three sons all have red hair. And she says, well, they looked like they were in junior high or high school and they were redheads. And then I started to cry Mm -hmm. because those were my sons. And I thought, again, what a wonderful gift from our Savior because so often we serve and we throw our little pebble into the service pond, but we never always get to see the ripples of the effect of that service. And I thought that was such a powerful gift that our savior allowed us to see the other side of that, especially for these teenage boys to see that they made a difference, Mm -hmm. not just in that moment, but that dear friend ended up finishing her treatment. And now there are grandchildren who have yet to be born that will know their grandmother because of a gift of Tic Tacs and gum. Mm -hmm what a treasure and a tender lesson for our boys to learn at such a young age that there truly is no such thing as a small act of kindness. Mm -hmm. That everything we do matters. It matters to those that we serve. It matters to our Heavenly Father. It matters to the Lord. Mm
0: -hmm. And I just imagine for them, being prompted to hand those two packages to these specific people they were probably even wondering was that the spirit prompting us to do Mm -hmm, that you know mm -hmm. and so for them to see and have that validated that yes you followed that prompting and it made a difference a huge difference in someone's life and they can kind of see that and then i think for you as a mother again going back to that preparation they had prepared themselves to be sensitive to the Spirit. And I just think that this is such a beautiful story of how Heavenly Father can really use us to influence those around us. Mm
2: -hmm. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, that reminds me of another wonderful experience when you talked about promptings and impressions. And sometimes it's simple to follow through, and other times it takes a lot of courage Mm -hmm. to act. And so a few months after that, I was really, really in a bad place. I had had a double treatment and then spent the other two, Tuesday and Wednesday, in the infusion room, and my mom drove me home. This was a Wednesday, and I was just absolutely depleted, and I collapsed on the couch and fell asleep. And I woke up a couple hours later, and the bone and tissue pain had already started setting in for the week. And I also started to get blisters in my mouth and down my throat. And I started to ask those same questions that that dear friend a couple months earlier asked, Heavenly Father, do you know that I'm here? Do you even care? And I was so hungry. I realized I hadn't eaten that day. My stomach was upset, but I was famished. But the thought of moving my mouth to eat anything was more than I could bear. Mm -hmm. And as I was lying there with those questions, flooding my mind and feeling so incredibly sorry for myself, I heard the door open and our youngest son had just come home from school. And as he walked in, the doorbell rang. And he went to answer the door and he came back holding a half melted 99 cent frosty with the instructions here give this to your mom it was melted just enough where it took very little effort for me to swallow but still cool enough that it was soothing as it went down and i can imagine that if manna from heaven was a frosty (laughs) because that is exactly what I needed and the Lord knew. I didn't know what I needed but the Lord knew exactly what I needed and I found out later that this dear friend who had moved away several cities away had began her morning with a prayer for our family and then as she went about her day going to work and running errands she was driving in her car when a very distinct prompting came take Amy, a frosty now. So this dear friend had the faith to know where that prompting was coming from and the courage to act. And I've often pondered since that moment what it must have felt like to stand on my doorstep, knowing that on the other side of that door was a family in crisis, a family that was barely keeping their heads above the water. And her offering was a 99 cent half melted (laughs) frosty. And yet that was exactly what I needed. I am so grateful that she had the faith to recognize those promptings and the courage to act because it changed my life. It changed the trajectory of how I was feeling in that moment and helped me endure Mm -hmm. subsequent months. I love this story so much.
1: (laughs) I just think it's amazing. And the other thing that I hear as you're describing the story is... I think it's a lesson for how the Lord succors us in our trials. In that day, he just gave you what you needed. And like a frosty wasn't going to heal you, it wasn't going to take the cancer away, but it was going to help you that day with what you needed. And I also love that your friend just had prayed for you and then was probably just kind of thinking and listening, what can I do for this family? And again, you've mentioned her courage a few times. I think it's interesting that courage isn't always a really big, dramatic, bold act of a huge GoFundMe account or this massive campaign. But in this instance, courage was something very, very small, essentially insignificant. And she was willing to do that. And I I just love
0: that. And it is hard to know what to do. You mentioned she sees this family who can barely keep their head above water because they're in such crisis. And so it is hard to know how you can help. But I think it just starts with a prayer.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes when promptings or impressions like that come, we start to second guess. Oh, definitely. Or we think they're stupid. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Or not enough. Yeah. You know, I would have thought, oh, a frosty, let's go get something a little bit nicer. Mm -hmm. You know, still maybe something cold and refreshing ice cream, but something nicer. Something
1: a little fancier than frosty.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Something a little fancier, but that's not what I needed, and I wouldn't have been able to eat something fancier. Mm -hmm. But that was exactly what I needed. And more than soothing and calming, she was a ministering angel that let me know that my Heavenly Father loved me, Mm -hmm. and that He was aware of what I was going through. And like you indicated, He doesn't always remove our challenges, but through the Atonement of Jesus Christ, we can endure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes It was in the middle of the night where things got a little dark, and that's really when the fear started to creep in because you feel really alone, everyone else is asleep, and you start to worry about the future for your children, and you worry how this story is going to continue to play out and what that's going to look like, and are you going to be strong enough to endure and to tolerate what will be asked and expected of you. And then also the bone and tissue pain made it very, very difficult to sleep. And I didn't want to take narcotics if I didn't have to. hmm Just and avoiding that if you could. That's right. Absolutely avoiding that. And fortunately, I didn't need to. But in order to sleep, the pain needed to subside a little bit just to take the edge off. And so what I did is I would pull up my iPad and I would lie in bed when I could barely move, but I could still swipe. And I would get on family search and I would look for ancestors. And this was before they had the ordinance ready button Mm -hmm. where you could easily find. And so we called it back then finding cousins where you'd go out on the branches and back Mm -hmm. down in the roots. And I would spend hours and hours searching and searching and searching for ordinances that we could take to the temple. And one evening I found a name of an ancestor and it had been input incorrectly. Something was spelled wrong, and you could tell that the system wasn't reading it right. And so I edited it, and all of a sudden this line opened up, over a thousand names, and these were Danish ancestors. And it was miraculous. I couldn't believe it. And so once I finished my treatment and was doing better, we solicited extended family members, and we'd have entire days where we would spend in the Bountiful Temple or in the Salt Lake Temple. There was a dear uncle who hadn't served in the temple for quite some time, and then he ended up calling every week, can you send me more names? Can I'm you print off more names? names? Mm-hmm. And so it became a family affair. Fast forward that following March, after finishing my chemotherapy treatment, our second oldest son opened his mission call, and he was called to serve in the Denmark-Copenhagen
0: Mission. Oh, that's neat.
2: And so tears just flowed freely because I already knew and loved those people. Such a connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I knew where they lived, and I knew the names of the cities and the towns that he eventually ended up serving in. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, after he'd been home, we went to Scandinavia, and we ended up spending an entire day in the temple in downtown Copenhagen, and we performed a variety of ordinances. But our youngest son had not received his endowment yet, and so we spent a considerable amount of time also in the baptistry so we could Mm -hmm. all be there together as a family. And at one point I was watching our son baptize his Danish father on behalf of his Danish ancestors while speaking Danish in a temple in Denmark. And I thought, well, what an incredible gift, a tender, tender gift. And it all came and originated from that sacred, refining, polishing, sanctifying experience that I had, where our home became an extension of the temple, and we felt guidance and direction and love and the ability through Jesus Christ to endure. Mm -hmm. And so the blessings of the temple, especially I think it's important to note with temples being modified or closed at different levels, that our homes truly can be an extension of the temple. They can be a holy place where we can be succored and sustained and edified and taught. And that's exactly what we experienced. And the blessing of that was a couple years later when we sat there that crowning moment Mm -hmm. it it just tied a beautiful bow around the entire experience and I often think of our heavenly parents and what a joyful thing that would have been for them to watch knowing that that was coming
0: well because at that point of the temple ordinances you were cancer free at that point right and so it's just probably extra special to you looking back to where that started making those connections through family search and it's just amazing to me that that literally was helping you overcome pain and fear and loneliness. And then it led to something that, like you said, was so crowning so beautiful. It, and so beautiful that it's just like, this is what life is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this. And I just think that's such a beautiful mm-hmm. full circle moment. That, thank, you. thank you for sharing. Yeah. You're welcome.
2: And what a beautiful thing that our ancestors, this is through my husband's line, could be part of my journey. Yeah, Part of helping me endure something that was really difficult and challenging Uh and then also for our son to go to Denmark and those dear Danish people also being part of his journey of something that too for him was difficult and challenging Mm -hmm. and it just brings full circle the importance of family yeah
0: Yeah.
1: I just Mm -hmm. think it's so interesting too thinking about these things that you were prompted to do to survive this difficult time, this idea from your husband, we need to find someone to serve as you're up alone late at night to turn to family history. And these are commandments, things that we're invited to do by prophets and in the scriptures and things that our Heavenly Father asks us to do, again, not because he really needs us to do family history, but because he knows this is something that will help you. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really interesting too with service, because as you'd said earlier, it sort of is like the last thing that kind of like no i'm in such great need can someone serve me (laughs) like why on earth would i need to be doing something for someone else right now but it's just so interesting it's like the irony that it's like no this is exactly what you need Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really beautiful lesson and a good way to think about commandments to like, this is for you, this is to help you. This is going to be something that will sustain you and help you endure. And it makes me think we talked with sister Harkness on this podcast several months ago, who was in the previous primary general presidency. And she mentioned that family history is something that has helped her overcome loneliness. Mm -hmm. And I've just never forgotten that. I think that's really interesting. So thank you again for adding to that and sharing your experience.
2: You're welcome. It truly is a strange paradox when you think about it, that the more we give, the more we receive. But it is true. And it's because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that that's possible. And to go back full circle back to primary, those are the primary answers, but it's because they're true. Mm -hmm. What do we need to do to get Mm -hmm. through challenging times as we pray, Mm -hmm. we attend the temple, we read our scriptures, Mm -hmm. we serve other people, and they're eternal Mm -hmm. answers. And that all requires a lot of humility, which Mm -hmm. is something that children
1: have. Absolutely. And again, something we sort of lose a little bit, maybe for some of us as we grow older, but something we can all have a concerted effort to return to, to have that humility, to be like, okay, maybe I do need to serve someone.
2: Yeah, such a powerful admonition to become like little children, isn't it? And such a beautiful thought. One of the things I love most about little people is they always look for commonalities. And I wish as adults we were more like that. Mm -hmm. because there's always so much more that we have in common than we could possibly have that's different because we all are brothers and sisters, that we have the same Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and it's part of our spiritual DNA. Yeah, that's what I love. They just want to know, and then once they find a commonality, they want to go play. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, Sister Wright, thank you so much
1: for sharing that tender experience from your life and how your family responded. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to share with women of the church or listeners of the
2: podcast? If it's okay, I would love to share my testimony. Yeah. But before that, I would just like to thank both of you, an absolute treasure and joy it has been to meet you. You are a delight and I wish everyone who's listening could see what I'm Scene, because you just glow. You just radiate goodness to your very core. And this has been a privilege and an honor to be here with you today. So thank you.
0: You're so sweet. The feeling's mutual. Yeah, we feel the same. Thank We're you. really grateful that you're here.
2: Thank you. So I would love to testify that God lives and that he truly is in the details of our lives, that Jesus is the Christ and that he knows us personally and loves us perfectly And when he admonished us to come follow me, that invitation is literal. He is inviting us to walk as he walked, to serve as he served, to love as he loves, and to forgive as he forgave. And because that path was first walked alone, as Elder Holland so beautifully testified, and by a God, we are never alone. And there is sanctifying and healing and enabling power in our own individual journeys. This is what I know to be true from personal experience in the sacred and holy name of our truest and most constant friend,
0: Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Sister Wright. We've loved being here with you today. It's been so great to get to know you. Yeah, you've shared so many things with us that are deeply personal, and we appreciate that. I think it will really resonate with our listeners, and I hope that they're able to take away as much as I have from this conversation. Thank you.
2: You're so welcome. Thank you. My hope is, too, that they realize that you don't have to have cancer, that this really isn't a story about cancer. It's a story about coming to know our Savior. Absolutely. And developing a relationship with Mm -hmm. Him. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share.
0: Of course. And as always, thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We hope you'll share this episode with someone who has come to your mind and who might benefit from our conversation with Sister Wright today. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or contact us with your thoughts and feedback at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org.
1: We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is now available on the Gospel Library app. In addition to being available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts or want to listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the Church's Saints Channel app, and elsewhere. So we hope that you'll continue to tune in, to subscribe, and share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. As always, we'd also like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast and make it possible.
0: And until next week, I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shaylin Back. Thanks for listening.